0: I am very grateful for this opportunity to be with all of you. Sripad Parampuja Shankar Shri Sripad Parampuja Chidananda Saraswati Ji Maharaj. Sadvi Devi. Gangamai, And to all of you. I was... Asked to speak on the subject of equanimity amidst turbulence. In this world, we do not have to seek turbulence. Bhagavad Gita tells Dukalayam Ashashwatam, it comes naturally. Padam Padam Yad Vipadam Nathesham. It is a world where whatever position we may be in, whatever we know, whatever we have, there's always danger at every step. Years ago I was sitting on the bank of Mother Ganga. It was around noontime in the summer. I prayed for some experience or some lesson that could help transform my life. And interestingly, even apparently ordinary. Things that happen can have a major impact if our hearts are open to receive those blessings. In the Bible, it is said, seek and ye shall find. So while I was sitting on the banks of Mother Ganga that day, I was really seeking. Then something happened. I was all alone because it was summer. Summer. And it was at Prayag. A hawk, very big hawk, was flying just over my head. Its wings were spread brown, gold, white. It was coming lower and lower until it was just a few meters above me. I looked up, and its sharp, claws were moving like it was about to attack someone its yellow eyes glistening in the sunshine were staring what appeared to be on me and there was no one else around its beak was curved and sharp at the tip as it came just a few feet above my head Then suddenly, it head first into the Ganga, went underwater. And while underwater, there was a skirmish. It was splashes and splashes and splashes. I was wondering, what's happening? Suddenly, the hawk emerged from the current of Ganga, and in its claws was a fish. Now this was just a few feet in front of me. That fish was about a foot long and I could see its eyes. I don't know if it was a boy or girl, actually, but I could see his eyes. They were completely disoriented, shocked. As the hawk was bringing the fish higher and higher. The fish was flapping furiously, trying to escape, but could not. I began to reflect how that fish was probably just going about his day like any other day, swimming upstream, downstream, across stream, looking for food, playing with family and friends. When at the least expected moment, the hawk of faith ripped it out of its complacency to suffer and die. And I was thinking, isn't that fish a lot like me and the people in this world? We go, upon, we go about our routine duties not knowing that at any moment there can be crisis in our life. We read about it in newspapers, we see it in televisions, we know people who it's happened to, and it may have happened to us. How precious is each moment to be focused on what is of real value and purpose in our life? And yoga means to integrate, to unite the true most meaningful purpose in life in everything we do, whatever we think and whatever we speak. As I saw that hawk carrying the fish into the forest, I was thinking, if this fish was swimming deeper, the hawk could not touch it. And similarly, if we orchestrate our life in such a way that we can find our happiness, our purpose, and our connection deeper within ourselves, then the ever-changing circumstances of this world cannot really touch us. But if our happiness and distress and our searchings and our longings are on this very superficial, shallow level, then at any moment the hawk of fate can create such turbulence in our life. Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita that true intelligence is when we rejoice within when we find our happiness, our shelter within. If we find it there, we find such a treasure of joy, of love. Naturally, we become instruments of the compassion of that grace and we want to share it with the world. Without that experience, Birth after birth, we're struggling and striving to find things outside of ourselves to give that experience. If a building has a strong foundation, no storm, no wind can knock it down. But even if you build... An incredibly ornate palace on shifting sands that when the storm comes, everything will crumble. Yoga teaches us how to build every aspect of our life on a powerful foundation that can maintain our integrity, our dignity, our peace, our equanimity, and our compassion, even in the face of the inevitable storms that will come within this world. In California, there are redwood trees, the largest, highest, and some of the oldest trees in the world. These trees have gone through thousands of years, some of them, and endured earthquakes, blizzards, storms, tornadoes. How do they just keep growing and growing? Because the roots of the redwood trees, underground, they reach outward for the roots of other trees. And there, as soon as two trees connect with each other, they wrap around, intertwine, and make a permanent bond. Every tree in the forest, directly or indirectly, is supporting every other tree. And therefore, even through sunny days and stormy days, they just keep growing higher and higher and get stronger and stronger. When I saw this, I was thinking this is what satsang is. Satsang is when people come together, like we are here at this International Yoga Festival, with a divine purpose. (laughs) When yogis, when devotees come together, they enlighten and inspire one another and feel great happiness in doing so. That is our strength. There's a beautiful story in the Shrimad Bhagavat about a very young boy who was confronted with the most Incredibly difficult challenge. Mahajanoyena gatha sapanta. We could learn through the examples of others and follow in their footsteps. In Badrikashram, on the banks of the Saraswati River, Srila Vyas was speaking to Narada Muni. And Vedavyas was asking how, how he attained such an enlightened position. Narada Muni explained his previous life. life. He was living in the jungle. His mother was a very simple-hearted, uneducated maidservant. She was a widow, and he was the only child. She would just serve others in the most menial ways. At one time, a group of great sages came to that forest. During the Chaturmasya, the rainy season, where they could not travel. And she was serving them. Little things, cleaning, washing, bringing objects. And her little five year old son was helping her. And he became so attached to these sages, who he called the Bhakti Vedantas. In the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Kapila Dev tells his mother that the path of liberation is when the same attachments that we have to the things and the, and the, and the pleasures of this world, society, friendship, and love, when we imp- redirect that same attachment to saintly, enlightened people. They were just so kind to this boy. They were actually equal to everyone, but because he was so receptive, he was receiving their kindness, and he became really, really attached to them. And he loved to serve them. The Bhagavad Purana tells, Shushushor Shadadana sya Syan Mahatsevaya Viprapundya tirthana Sevanan that when we serve Mahats, great people, our taste, our eagerness for transcendental life increases and we want to hear these spiritual subject matters, Harikata. One day, he had so much faith in these people, he asked them, could I take the remnants of your food after you finish and leave it on your plate? And they gave his permission. And because he served them and they blessed him so much, he had such faith in that food that just by eating it, he was transformed. And he started to understand everything they were speaking. Such deep wisdom. After some time, they all left. He was left alone with his mother. The five-year-old child, the mother, all of her affection was for him only. She was widow. She had nothing else, and he had no other protection. Then one night, she went out to take care of a cow. (laughs) A serpent struck her on the leg, and she died. Now, this is the turbulent situation in a child's life. Five years old, you're all alone. Your mother, who has protected you in every way from the time of your birth, is dead. Naturally, he felt his heart separation from his beloved mother. But because he heard transcendental knowledge from these great sages and he received blessings, he was thinking, this is the grace of God. It is an opportunity for me to come closer. And he began to travel. He traveled to the great towns and cities and saw how people were living and what they were doing and why. He was always looking for deeper wisdom, for a deeper connection to God. He went to the villages and to the agricultural fields, and soon he found himself deep into a forest where no humans would ever go. He was thirsty. He drank water from a little pond, And then he sat under a banyan tree and meditated. He did the same exact meditation he learned from those great sages and rishis. He was meditating on the Paramatma within his heart. And by divine grace, Paramatma, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, appeared within his heart. So beautiful, the essence and source of all beauty, of all love. The little boy in his meditation was in ecstasy. He described to Vedavyas in Bhadrik Ashram I was swimming, I was drowning in an ocean of Ananda or ecstasy. He was so grateful. Suddenly, that form disappeared. It came out of his meditation. He felt such a a deep connection. He wanted to make it again. He did the same exact meditation again and again and again, but nothing happened. He was yearning. He was longing. And then Bhagavan spoke to him from within, said, my dear child, I appeared before you because of your sincerity. But you cannot see me like that constantly unless you are free of any tinge of material desires or attachments. So now you will not see me again in this lifetime but because you will always be longing for me, seeking me, and performing your meditation, and chanting my names and glory constantly, you will become completely purified, and in your next life, you will be my great, great, great devotee. From that time on, The little boy, for the rest of his life, was meditating upon and chanting the holy names and glories of that personality, Paramatma. And he described to Vedavyas, just like when there is lightning, immediately there's illumination. In the same way, when the time of his death came, Death is like lightning. (laughs) Everything is finished. But at the same time, illumination, light. He was totally enlightened and he revived his original pure consciousness. And he became Muni, the sage who's constantly playing his vena and chanting the glories of the Lord. He became the guru of Dhruva, Prahlad, Valmiki, the Prachetas, and so many other great Mahajans and personalities. This is how the power of satsang transformed a young boy in such a way that from a disaster, the death of his mother, he was able to see the door open to the highest perfection. Mahatsevam Dwaram Mahuravamiptes Tamodwaram Yoshita I'd like to conclude by sharing with you a personal relationship I had. Because these are not just historical narrations. These lessons can be assimilated and experienced by all of us even today. One of my very dearest friends, his name was Bhakti Tirthaswamy. He was an African-American boy born in the ghettos of Cleveland around 1950. At a time in America, Well, if you had African-American descent, where your skin was dark, there were no civil rights. If you're born in the ghetto, you will die in the ghetto. Ninety-nine percent. There was so much violence where he grew up. But his mother always taught him spiritual principles. He was a Christian, a very open-hearted, universal Christian, and therefore he always was looking for God's grace, and he was always positive. He could have become a gangster like all of his friends, but he got a scholarship to Princeton University. He became a civil rights leader. He met Martin Luther King, and But he realized that if I really want to make a substantial, deep change, as Gandhi said, I have to change myself, and that needs to be spiritual. He came in contact with the same guru that I have, His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who taught a timeless lineage of bhakti-yoga the Brahma Madhva Godya He became so enthused and empowered. Over the years he became a mentor for Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, Ellis Colchin. He wrote about a dozen books. He was traveling around the world. He had tens and thousands of people who loved him and followed him. And then he was struck with cancer. When he was in his very last stages, he called me. He was in Pennsylvania in America, and I was about six hours away, and he called me and he said, the doctor told me I have three more days to live. I really want to see you so i left whatever i was doing and i drove with some others and i was at his bedside i had a very very busy summer i had meetings and i had lectures and i had conferences and so many things and i after staying a day with him two days with him i went to his bed to say goodbye To give him my last love and respects. But before I could say anything, he spoke. He said, I want to die in your arms. Stay with me. So I thought he only had a day or two to live. So I canceled everything for a day or two and said, I'm with you as long as you live. He lasted another eight weeks. But anyways, I was with him, and it was incredible, because any day we knew he was going to die, and there was, we didn't talk about the news. We didn't, there was no room for gossip or thinking about other people's faults. F, we made a, vow between each other. We will only discuss those things which are meant for the ultimate enlightenment and liberation of the soul to bring us closer to Krishna. And for hours every day we spoke. And because our conversation was so much trying to help each other come closer to God, it was the deepest loving relationship I ever had in my life. I couldn't believe what two humans can do if they're on the spiritual platform together. One day, this is really close to the end of his particular earthly life. The cancer was so intense, it seemed like it was going to the very core of his bones. His whole body was trembling he already had he was emaciated he only had one leg the other was amputated he was picked up and put on a chair and like every day we were discussing scriptures and our personal understandings of these scriptures but i could see his whole body was trembling he couldn't hear what i was saying and he couldn't communicate with me The pain was just too much. So I held his hand and began to chant the Mahamantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And he chanted. We chanted together. And suddenly... His smile blossomed like a limitless lotus flower. It practically went to his ears. His eyes were glistening. He began to glow. He was in ecstasy. And he shook his head and squeezed my hand and said, it doesn't get any better than this. He said, we are there. I said, could you explain? Because his body was still trembling with the same amount of pain. He said, I have never felt such happiness, such love, such joy in my life as this moment. Because more than ever before, I am tasting the sweetness of God's names. He said, I would not change my position for anyone else in the world. I am so grateful. I am so happy. I know where I'm going and I want to go there. And then he shook his head again. Tears of joy were flooding from his eyes. I never saw him cry in pain. He said, it doesn't get any better than this. Soon after that, a group of people came to see him. And seeing his condition, they were really receptive to everything he was saying. And I saw people who were skeptics, who were atheists, people who had been abused, people who had, who had lost their faith spiritually due to situations... And I saw they were completely mesmerized and transformed by everything he was saying. When they left the room, I said, Swamiji, I've known you for 35 years. I've never seen you do this to people. I've never seen anyone do this to people. And he smiled. He said, My life is seva. I gave my life to serve and because of the condition I'm in people are more receptive to receive the gift of devotion of love, of grace than any other time in my life he said this disease is the greatest benediction for me because it's enabling me to serve people in a deeper way than ever before it is a blessing Vishaya vinivartante niraharasya dehina rasavarjam rasopyasya param dristva nivartate. Bhagavad Gita tells that the mind and the senses, even on a nice, peaceful day, could be very turbulent. What to speak on turbulent times? But we can find Real peace, real satisfaction, real love, real compassion within our hearts when we experience our true nature, our true self, when we feel God's eternal love for the soul and we reciprocate by our kindness to all others. In this way we can find the highest equanimity both in the sunny and rainy days. Queen Kunti, she gave an analogy of the Ganga. As the river Ganges continuously flows to the sea without hindrance, my dear Lord Krishna, Let my attraction be forever drawn to you without being diverted to the superficial little things of this world. Then we can be like Mother Ganga, instruments of grace. Thank Thank you very much.